0: And I want to say thank you for inviting me, and, uh, and thank you for supporting us as a family, as a missionary family at Camp Barakel. We truly do appreciate not just the financial support, but it is, a, it is a privilege to live on this side, my side, of the missionary church relationship. Uh, some people will speak negatively of being missionary supported. I do not. I find it a privilege and an honor to know that daily, we have so many people care for us and pray for us and support us as we do the work of glorifying God at Camp Baricel. Uh, My role is program director, and so we're preparing the programs for the summer right now. We're also actively recruiting summer staff, so if there's one main prayer request, we would just ask that you pray that the Lord would send the workers, the harvest is ready, and, uh, and if you know any young people, especially college-age people, and you're looking to shape them into men like Preston and John Lapard, and women like Eunice, then send them our way. Uh, that's what the Lord does in the midst of ministry. And I've had the had the privilege in my 20 years of working both with John and with Preston as summer staffers, and it's uh, wonderful to serve with them here this morning. I do want to read from the Psalms, Psalm chapter 79. And if you get bored while I'm speaking, you can put a finger in Isaiah 40. We'll get to that at the end. Uh, but uh, Psalm 79, I'm going to read it in its entirety. And uh, John just prayed, but I'll pray quickly after that, and uh, then we'll launch in. A Psalm of Asaph. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord! you be angry forever? Will will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of prisoners come before you according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Heavenly Father, as our heads are bowed in worship, we come to your word to be fed. And Lord, I pray that you would use the preparation that you have provided me, and you would use your Holy Spirit and the truth in your scripture to speak to us now. Help us to see that you are a God of comfort when we cry out in need. In Jesus' name, amen. I live a pretty charmed life. I just do. If you were to look at the totality of my life, you'd say, man, that guy's kind of got it made. I do. I, I grew up in a whole family. We weren't touched by the sting of divorce. And my mom and dad loved each other from as early as I In fact, they loved each other embarrassingly so continue to do so sometimes. I'm sorry that it's your embarrassment now, but I have two wonderful sisters. They were annoying, but kind of in a great sisterly way. And now they're some of my best friends. I got to grow up in an excavator's home where as a young boy, I got to sit on and and run heavy equipment on a regular basis. Like, that's pretty awesome. And if I ever needed money, I just asked dad and he'd have a job for me. And I could work for Lindsley Excavating. I could earn a little bit of money. And I excelled at school. This so it came pretty easy to me. And I went to the math and science center. And I got into a good college. And I was going to study engineering. And I did. I studied engineering. And it, it was tough, but not that tough. And I, I then served at Camp Barrakel for a summer. And, and just like magic, I'd, I met my wife. And we fell in love, sometimes embarrassingly so. <laughs> and we still are in love, and we've been married for oh boy, uh, 23 years, 22, uh, 22 years. It'll be 23 years, and um, oh boy, let's get back to my charmed life now. <laughs> When we met, we had this dream of maybe someday the Lord would allow us to serve together as a family at Camp Barakel. We didn't realize that dream right away. We went and worked in the world. We worked in engineering and nursing for a while, but then the Lord brought us to Camp Barakel. And, and when we went to raise support to come to Camp Barakel, it took a matter of months, and we were 100%. We were oh, we were there, and I got my dream job. I get to wear a hoodie to work every day, and nobody blinks an eye. It's pretty amazing. This feels really stuffy right now. so I drive a golf cart just around because it's fun. In fact, my team, the program team, our main mission is to make sure that everybody who comes to Camp Barracal has fun. So my job is literally to make sure people have fun and to have fun myself. I have three wonderful kids. I have a daughter who's going to Moody. And she loves, yay Moody, she loves Jesus. And I've got a son who excels in school. I've got a son who's my youngest son who's just a joy to be around. Lots of fun and humor. And man, you just look at my Facebook pictures and you would think, that guy, why would he be preaching on a psalm of lament? He's got it made. But I think everybody is able to rejoice of the goodness of God and cry at the pain of suffering. In this world, every one of us experiences that dichotomy. We live in the current state of a sin soaked world where pain and suffering is real. And that has been true in my grand, beautiful story. I have faced loss, I have faced pain, I have faced death. I've faced emergencies and crisis can't Baruchel. I've faced division. I've faced all of those things, even in just my young. I'm only 45. I mean, I'm pretty young. And I've learned that there are days where you can both praise the goodness of the Lord and cry at his feet for mercy because it hurts all at the same time. And in some ways, we've uh, experienced that in the last couple of years. There's some beauty in what's happened just with our families being able to spend more time together. Our camp had a year of just uh, rejuvenation. We had a fire, but a beautiful explosion of things that came to replenish camp. We were able to have summer camp last year, and people signed up in droves their kids to come to summer camp. But even in the midst of that, we had to sometimes cancel weeks because we didn't have the staff or because the staff were quarantined because of COVID. And And then at the end of our summer, last summer, we faced a tragedy as one of our summer camp counselors, this 19, 20-year-old, wonderful, godly young woman, full of joy, was driving in a car and was killed. And we ached with pain and grief. And there have been days where sadness pulls me down and I'm sorrowful. But I found comfort in scripture. I hope you find comfort there. And the psalms are book that, that expose both sides of that story. There are beautiful psalms of great joy. And there are also many psalms that are like you've studied the Psalms of Lament, the Psalms of Sadness. And that is appropriate because that's where we live. And Psalm 79 was probably written at the lowest point. In one one of the lowest points in the history of God's people Israel, Jerusalem, the possession of peace, was laid bare by violence. After centuries of idol worship and turning their backs on God, God warned them again and again through the prophets, but God finally poured out his judgment on them. And he sent the nation of Babylon to subdue his city and to capture his people and to carry them into captivity. It was a time in history when God, through his righteous and good judgment, maneuvered the world events to punish his people. And Asaph feels that weight. He sees that and he cries out to God. And so there's two parts to today's message. There's the cry, the cry of the hurting, and then we're going to get to the response of God. God. And that's in Isaiah 40. If you want to cheat, you could go ahead and you could probably catch what's going to happen. But let's look at the cry. I want to look at three statements that kind of define this cry. And the first comes in the first two words of the Psalms. The first two words are, Oh God, where does the psalmist cry out? Does he cry out to the king? No. No. Does he cry out to his neighbors? No. Does he get on Facebook and rant? No. He cries out to God. Where do we turn in times of sorrow? Sometimes I turn to myself, and I think that may be common, where I get pretty, I'm pretty good at lamenting to myself. I might even start by praying to God, but eventually I just grumble about my my situations to myself. I can't believe this is happening. I just, why, I mean, we're doing everything right, and here's, and you start to just have this ongoing internal conversation, but the psalmist shows us by example the proper way to lament, the proper way to express our pain, and that is to God. Raise our eyes up to the heavens and cry out. It is right and appropriate for us as children of God to do that. He is our Father. He wants to hear our cries. And that is why the Psalms are full of Psalms of lament. And there's a whole book called Lamentations. It shows us, it teaches us how to be raw, how to be real with God. There's a book, in fact, I think a year ago I was here, and I'm pretty sure I spoke on lament again, too. It's just it's a theme, I guess. Uh, there, there's a book that I'd recommend if you want to learn more about lament, and it's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop, and he defines it in the best way I know. He says, a lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer to God. Oh, God. It, it recognizes the pain, but it it gets us somewhere. When I complain to myself, I don't get anywhere. When I complain, when I bring my, 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 my cry to God, it gets me somewhere. It leads me towards trust in him. And sometimes when I'm speaking to the Almighty, I'm timid in my prayers. Are you timid sometimes to tell God how it really is? I feel like a good, appropriate missionary, good, Prayer should be should be uh, just all the time recognizing the goodness of God. And I don't know, maybe just a real quick like prayer request. Oh, please make this better. Rather than just laying out my pain and my sorrow at his feet, the Lord would not have us couch our pain. He knows it more than we know it. And he wants us to be real, he wants us to be raw with him. He wants us to lament to him and not to anyone else. Oh God. Mark Rogoff says, lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty, but live in a world of tragedy. That's us. We are God's people. We believe that God is absolutely on his throne, in control of the universe, but we live in a world filled with tragedy. Psalm 79 79 verses 1 through 4 is a retelling of something that God already knows. Asaph says, the nations have come into your inheritance and they defied your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. He talks about how the bodies of your servants and the blood flowed and people were taunting God. And do you think God is on the throne like, oh, I didn't realize that it happened. No. He'd actually told him it was going to happen before it happened. And now that it's happened, he is accepting the prayer of lament of Asaph. As Asaph retells him the the hard things that are happening, it is is a horrible time in history for God's people. And yet Asaph cries out to God and tells him all that God knows. It is a coming to God and laying bare your soul at his feet. Oh, God. The second phrase I want to look at is in verse 5. How long? How long? long. God's people live in a state of anticipation. At this point, they're living in an anticipation that perhaps, Lord, please reestablish your city. Please come and rescue us from the Babylonians. Please come and build this temple back up again. Asaph did not know the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. He didn't know that this was coming. But he wanted it. And in a grand sense, the Old Testament saints are crying out, how long until you come to rescue us? How long until the Messiah comes? And even on this side of the cross, we cry out, how long until you come again and make all things right? Have you longed for that lately? I've been longing for that lately. I just want it all to be made right. I just don't want Any more news of cancer. I don't want to hear of any more of my friends who are struggling with depression. I don't want to hear of any more divorces. I don't want to hear of any more tragic deaths of young people in car accidents. It hurts. And I want the Lord to come and make it all right. And so I cry out with Asaph and really with a string of psalmists and the strings of people. It is, it is the appropriate cry of all saints until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the new heaven and the new earth, it will be our cry, how long, O Lord? Because that is a cry of a waiting person. And as a, as a proper lamenting Christian, we lament in anticipation. We lament in waiting. We long for that. Let me just give you uh, some samples of this throughout the Psalms. It's a deep call of the suffering. Psalm 6, 3. My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, O oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from lions. That's Psalm 35. Psalm 80, O oh Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people, people's prayers? Do you get a little uncomfortable with that? I, I kind of do sometimes. I feel like, in some ways, is that really like accusing God that he's, his timing's wrong? It's not. What it is is saying, we long for you to save us. We're looking anticipation and we're asking, we're pleading that you come and restore things as they ought to be. That you come and eliminate sin. That you come and eliminate suffering. We... As a sin, as people suffering in a fallen world, we suffer. And we long for that end of suffering. In this fallen world, sin cripples everything, even the nature, creation. Camp Barakel, if you come on the property, you probably, actually right now it's pretty ugly. Don't come. It's, um, it's muddy and, and there's no leaves on the trees. And actually what you'll see is many, many, many dead trees. We have oak wilt. In our forest. And it is, it is killing hundreds of oak trees all the time. We can take out a hundred trees and we're still behind. We brought in a logging company to come and log off a piece of our property a couple years ago. And there's still more to do. And you just look at that and it's like, that is a good sign of how the creation just groans under this weight of sin. That we have caused. And sickness is another thing that all of us experience. Your your uh, your church prayer list will be full of sick people asking for help because that is a truth of living in a sin fallen world. Our bodies decay. After this, I'm going to see my cousin Mark, and I think you've prayed for him. He's my age and suffering with cancer, suffering bad with cancer. It doesn't look good, and I cry out, "How long?" Please come and rescue us from this. Come and rescue us from this. And we must recognize that this Psalm 79 is not just a lament of the general sin in the world. This is actually a lament that actually deals with the punishment of God for for a sin of a nation. Asaph recognizes, he says there in uh, verse verse number 8, Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. For generations, idolatry had reigned in Israel. The people had turned their back on God. They had bowed and worshipped other gods. Jeremiah, again and again, describes their relationship with God like a wife who cheats on their husband. The psalmist himself may have been innocent of idolatry, but he saw that his people... Were sin-filled. The people of his community had caused this punishment. And this is not a flippant, what we did was not that bad kind of cry for help. The psalmist fully recognizes the iniquity of his people. And we need to be careful here. I don't want to insinuate that somehow America equals Israel. We're Israel's God's chosen nation. These are His people. This is special. We are a great nation, but we are just a nation. But we are also a nation that has sinned greatly. Our people have sinned. We've lived in a sin-soaked land. Our nation bows to the idols of money, bows to the idols of success, bows to the idols of fame and power. We sacrifice our children to the gods of inconvenience. We, we bow to the gods of entertainment. We've treated the oppressed with scorn and the oppressors with praise. And even in our punishment, as we see some of the things that have happened in our land and continue to happen, there has to be from the people of God this understanding that, Lord, what you are doing by shaking the foundations of our land, by shaking the foundations of the world, could very well be a punishment for our sins. But we cry out with Asaph, how long? How long will you tarry? How long will you allow evil to reign? How long will cancer continue to kill? How long will miscarriages sweep away the life before it even breathes? How long will the depressed be locked in darkness? How long will the masses of babies be killed in their wombs? How long will injustice not be made right? Lamenting leads us to look to God for salvation. It leads us to trust Him. So the first phrase was, Oh God. The second phrase was, How long? And the third phrase is in verse number nine, and it just says simply, Help us. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. This cry doesn't end in a complaint. It doesn't end just in a request for more information, like when does this end? It ends in a cry for salvation. This, this is, a, is, is a marked turn from generations of Israelites crying out to other gods to save them, or crying out to other political powers to save them. This is now Asaph and the people of God turning to God and saying, You are our salvation. You are the one. And we want you to come and help us. We cry out to help as a hurting people to many other lowercase gods. I do. If I'm suffering, what do I do? I might go eat good food. Right? Maybe that would solve my suffering if I just had some really good food. Or just junk food because junk food seems comforting. Until it's not, but then it does seem comforting. Or we go to our lowercase god of entertainment because it distracts us from the suffering. Or we go to our lowercase god of sports because we can find some meaning there. Or we go to our lowercase god of money because that's good security. That could pay the hospital bills and the Provide me with some sort of security? Or we go to the God of something that will just kind of take the pain away. Maybe it's alcohol, or marijuana, or maybe it's other drugs. We go to other gods. And God is showing us in this psalm of lament where to go for help when we are struggling, when we are suffering. Help us, O God, of our salvation for your namesake deliver us, take care of our needs, our sins, atone for our sins, it says, for your name's sake. Recognize that this is not a cry of help. Eventually, by the way, if good lament will, will aim us towards trust in God, it'll actually aim us towards recognizing that God, God's glory is at the heart of this. And as I suffer, I want to suffer well in anticipation of him coming to rescue me for his glory so that he will receive the glory for coming and rescuing me. It's for the glory of his name. Asaph was not only concerned to end his own suffering, but he was ultimately concerned for the sake of the glory of his God. All the other nations, everybody around us is saying, well, the church is kind of doing the same thing. Everybody around us is saying, where is their God? Let the groans of the prisoner come before you, according to your great power, and preserve those doomed to die. And then at the end, verse 13, it's their response of, we will give thanks. So the cry of the suffering one is the cry of, Oh God, how long? Help us. And now, let's turn to Isaiah 40. Because Isaiah 40 was written prior to the exile, But it was written for those who were going to experience the pain of the punishment of God. Isaiah, as a prophet, was writing for the people who were going to be carried into captivity into Babylon. And Isaiah 40, that is what that is for. Up until then, Isaiah 1-39 through is a very broad generalization. If there's some good Old Testament Bible scholars in here, you you could spend hours doing more than what I'm doing right now. I understand that. Isaiah 40, you could do hours on that chapter alone. Up until Isaiah 40, it's mostly a, a, a prophecy of punishment. And in Isaiah 40, there's a turn. So much so that some people, I don't, but some people actually doubt, well, maybe that wasn't Jeremiah's writing. But this was Jeremiah's writing in prophecy, speaking ahead to the future people who were going to be in pain. He's speaking to Asaph. So after this cry of suffering how does God respond in Isaiah 40? Isaiah 40 chapter 1 What's the word? Say it aloud with me. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is God's answer to his cry for help? Comfort. Sometimes as a dad, especially of my kids when they were younger, if they did something wrong, I'd send them to punishment, right? I'd do their consequence. They'd go, they they, they might get a spanking, and then they'd go into their room for timeout, right? And when it was time to release them from timeout, I had the temptation, and sometimes fell to this temptation, of opening the door and continuing my lecture. (laughs) Like, maybe you didn't learn this yet. Like, this is the third time you've been in the room this week for this thing, so let's go over this again, even though you've already paid your punishment, I need to make sure you really understand a lesson. God is a loving, kind, compassionate father. And as His children, when we cry out to help for help, He answers us, "I give you comfort. I love you. My mercy is here for you. I have taken care of your sins on the cross." There is no condemnation for you anymore. I am here to meet and satisfy your every need and to make you content in me. And I will provide more comfort than any other little G gods can. This God is so beautiful. He is so kind. It's reflected in the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son sins greatly against the father, offends the father. And as the, as the prodigal son returns, seeking to just get a little bit, a tiny bit of the father's kindness and compassion, what does the father do in that story? He runs out to meet him and embraces him, kisses him, pours out kindness on him. That is the picture God wants us to see as hurting people. I am here to embrace you. I am here to comfort you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We sang that this morning. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's a very familiar like coffee mug verse, right? Where does that come from? Does anybody know a book? because I looked for it in Psalms first before I actually went and looked. It's Lamentations. That verse, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. is sandwiched into this book of crying and suffering. Jeremiah weeps with suffering and pain and sorrow and then provides us this beautiful sunrise moment. That the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. His mercies will never come to an end. They are new every morning. He is faithful. Our God is a God of unending mercy and kindness and steadfast love. He has demonstrated his love for us in this and that while we were yet sinners suffering under our sin, he came and died on the cross for our sins to bring us comfort to bring us peace. The war is over. Reconciliation has begun. And God is the offended party. He is the one who has been offended. He is the one who is actually doling out the justice. And yet he provides pardon for our iniquity. It's staggeringly merciful. In fact, verse 2 sometimes looks, at the end of verse 2, sometimes like, I don't quite understand. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So did he overpunish them? No. It's a poetic term. And it, reme- it, it kind of envisions like a folding over, where the, the people of Israel saw this much sin, but there was double that underneath. And God has, has, has taken care of that sin You don't know the half of what you did to me is kind of what it it says. And still, God offers comfort. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he says these words, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, comfort. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus can say that as a Messiah who has suffered. He entered into this sin-soaked world. He experienced the pain that we have experienced. He suffered injustice. When he came to the world, what was he known as? A man of sorrows. He wept real tears over the death of a loved one. He wept real tears at the sense of wrongness in this world. Hebrews 4 puts it aptly. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and is yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of near need. That is the picture of lament. That when we are in time of need, we with confidence draw near to God, the throne of grace. And we receive mercy. Because God understands. Because God is a Messiah who doesn't sit outside our world. He entered into our world. He understands the pain of suffering. This practice of coming to God for comfort in times of sorrow is one that we as Christians will have many opportunities to practice. We will. We should always be getting better at lamenting so that the next time a suffering comes or a sorrow comes, we we go to that for comfort first. We go spend some time in our prayer closet. We go for a walk in the woods and let the tears flow. We're not meant to be Stoics. We've kind of got this idea that a good Christian man should stand up and walk around and not cry at all. I'm glad my dad cries. He cries a lot. He's taught me it's okay to cry, and I cry a lot. It's a lot of times a joy, but often sadness, too. And I've been working on this since I've studied this, that as I spend time alone with God, in time of pain or in time of suffering, I let the tears come. And a lot of times it takes away my words. I don't know what to say. But I feel like, not feel, I understand that that is what lament is it's crying out in pain, looking for comfort for the one who will give us comfort. I've got a whole other sermon I could preach <laughs> on verses six, or verses, uh, where was the, where did you read uh, there? Behold, Our God. In fact, I'd love for you to continue reading Isaiah today. What you will find is what the way that God comforts us in in sorrow is He calls us to look up at Him and realize that this suffering going on is is big to us, but He rules the world and he is so powerful and big that that we cannot understand all that he is doing and why he is walking through us through suffering through us through suffering he can't we can't understand it but he does he knows more than we are and we can trust him we can trust him that was the answer he gave to job it's the answer here in isaiah 40 look up and you can trust me you can trust me what is our response to this? Our response to God giving us comfort in the time of lament. Asaph offers one at the end of Psalm 79. 30, we read it earlier. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. What is our response to suffering as we walk through lamenting and crying out to God is we will give Thanks. Thankfulness will be on our lips. We will quickly recount praise to God to anyone who will listen. But I want to turn real quickly. I know that we're running a little long here. But have, this is a verse 28 through 31 as I close of Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, Many of us these days, in days of sorrow, will be faint, will be weary, will feel like we should fall exhausted. God is calling for us to cry out to him and lament, to wait for him, and he will rise us up. He will renew our strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles.